Welcome back to the Act Two Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I'm Josh Hallman. And Paul says I have a podcast voice. Do you think that's true? Mm, I'm, in, I'm conflicted because I don't want to disagree <laughs> with Paul, <laughs> but I don't want to get in your head. So I don't know. I'm going to try and be normal. I feel like I'm normal. This is me as a reminder. Act Two is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter, of which the podcast is just one of the many things that we do. If you checked out our Twitter this week, you would see that we have partnered with Coverfly, for example, to provide a mentorship for up-and-coming writers uh, with our Act Two writers. So that's really great. It's like an industry business career mentorship more than it is kind of a creative mentorship. We sort of assume you are a good writer already. And when we pair you with an act two writer, they're there because they have made a profession out of screenwriting and they're there to answer any questions you have. Kind of, if you have meetings, they'll sort of help you navigate those meetings and just be a soundboard for you as you have career questions over the next few months of your career. It's a six month mentorship. Highly recommend it. You can Man. apply through Coverfly. I think it's freaking awesome. It's it's great. I, we should talk about this more often. That's how cool I think it we is. should do. I, I, it's been going for a little bit, so it's sort of it's sort of something that flies under my radar sometimes. But man, I wish I had had something like that. Can you imagine being paired with someone who actually is making money off of screenwriting who can tell you how it really works and like what's actually? Because I feel like all no. of our screenwriting professors were so dated in terms of the knowledge they possessed currently in the industry because they hadn't been working in it for sometimes decades and the industry mm. moves fast every week is different so it's so helpful every week is different i just read uh something about linear tv everyone was giving their predictions about where the tv industry will be in the next three years and talking about streaming services stuff like that it, it's just yeah i guess we're, yeah we're moving fast Okay. Oh, whenever you say stuff like that, I get depressed. All right. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast so yeah. you don't miss out on any of our depressing topics. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Give us a mm -hmm. rating. Write a comment. Uh, tell us sort of, I don't know, like uh, what is the weirdest comment you ever got when you were in a general? I've gotten some weird things said back to me. Wow. I, I actually, my This Week in Writing, I know I'm just all over the place. It has yeah. to do, it kind of pertains to general stuff. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. If you'd rather DM us with questions or topic suggestions, you just want to say hi and reach out, you can at act2writers at gmail.com, all spelled out, or on our Instagram and Twitter at act2writers. I'm on the things. I'm Story Thursday on Instagram and Tasha 3.0 on Twitter. I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter. Josh Hallman on Instagram. Come say hi. I got to post some stuff. You have to post some stuff. We'll engage. It'll be great. <laughs> Ironically, given the, the opening to this podcast, today we're talking about pacing and a script, mm. <laughs> specifically <laughs> around action sequences. But first, we have some this week's in writings. Someone asked me a question, Tasha. And okay. it, it kind of, it, it, I've gotten this question before, and I'm sure you've gotten this question before, and I think every writer ha gets this question. I just want to know how you answer this question. Oh, God. When you're in a meeting, you're talking to a producer, you're having a general with an executive, whatever, you're having lunch. Are you ready for the question? 
I don't think I am, but hit me. How do you find your inspiration? Ooh. Has, have you been asked this before? I think I have been asked that before, mostly because people are confused by when they meet me compared to the script that they've read. Um, and I say, I pull from my own <laughs> Wait, life. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's unpack that. <laughs> let's, let's take a step back. <laughs> Hang on. So you just submitted a script. <laughs> and they're like, hey, you, you're, you don't line up with what I thought. What? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. Well, like my, this happened early in my career when my, my, my script that went out was Black Bell, which mm -hmm. was the Western bounty hunter script where she's going around killing men for revenge in oh, very right. brutal ways, including cutting off genitalia and sending it to other men <laughs> as a warning. And so people met me and I'm like, hi, I'm really bubbly and I wear Converse. Yeah. And they're like, huh, how do these two things go together? <laughs> you know what? That actually tracks because I've just known you for so long that it doesn't even compute anymore. But <laughs> I think, I You know think I like to kill kids right. and have a lot of <laughs> gruesome yeah. scenes in my scripts. <laughs> For the first couple scripts, listener, Tasha would, oh, there would be some child in Tasha's script that I'm like, oh, I'm so invested in this kid's journey. And then like midpoint, like the kid like falls off a cliff and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> we had so many conversations about poor Carl with the K who just, I would kill him yeah. in so many different ways. Josh would be like, how about not? How about not doing that? <laughs> Okay, so what inspires you then? <laughs> I mean, I think I would answer, I don't know how I answered back then, probably something stupid, but I think now I would answer, uh, I pulled from my own life experiences and mm -hmm. uh, traveling around the world. I don't know. I don't know. I don't yeah. know if I'd say that. Um, I, I guess pulling from my own experiences and, and living a life. It's important yeah. not to be sitting behind a desk, but you have to be out there in the world engaging with it in order to write about it. I agree. I agree. I get fired I, yeah, up I about it. that. <laughs> you do, yeah. I, <laughs> Wait, I, can I, I, can I get, continue for yeah. a second? <laughs> because I think, oh, please. please. <laughs> I think that producers have found, and I have found myself as well, that the best writers are writers who are doing that, who are like living a life. And I've had producers say mm -hmm. to me, the writers who just like lead a normal life, go to film school, get an internship, get a job, and are now writers, like they find that oftentimes, not all, always, but oftentimes, those writers don't have a lot of depth of character and like complexity of mm -hmm. situations and psychology and stuff because they've not lived a life. So this question I feel like is geared towards advertising yourself as someone who is not that person who lives a super interesting life and that makes them interested because guess what they're not leading the interesting life they need you to lead the interesting life so you can write about it i love that answer <laughs> that's not really an that's I, I love that advice or whatever that was i love it go get divorced go leave kids have some baggage <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> This might be therapy for Joshua today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, how did you answer the question? 
I was like, I don't know. It just, <laughs> I think I did. I was like, I don't know. Just life, whatever comes to me in the moment. I, I didn't know how to answer it. It was a weird, weird question. I, but it's not. It's a, it's a perfectly valid question. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. I mean, especially, I don't know what script they read. But if it was like father-daughter day, for example, I feel like you can just start talking about your child. Oh, yeah. And... Yeah, I think it was a general question. Like, oh, okay. What what inspire like what inspires you like ideas? I I feel like it it just really it almost stumped me. Yeah. Because it's almost like describing a color. You're like, I don't know. It just that's a really great point. Because also, what inspires me is reading articles online. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> reading about science and reading new books by interesting authors and it so yeah it's a it's a complex question but i think the answer can be complex yeah it's probably what they're looking for that's the beauty of writing inspiration can come from literally anywhere at any given moment you could be looking out of your window and see something sorry i got excited yeah (laughs) i don't even have anything to add well i will add i've asked this question to writers that i'm interviewing for a job but about a specific screenplay, like, oh, like, how did this come about? Like, what was your inspiration for this screenplay? And I will say, when they don't have a good answer, I sort of cross them off the list. Totally. I knew that when I said, I don't know. But I, I can see the deer in headlights that they get, and I should maybe be more sympathetic. But you should be able to, I think, talk about your particular script. If General question is hard. But a particular yeah. script, you should be able to bullshit your way through. Why? I've definitely had people oh. be like, oh, I don't know. I just, um, you know, I just think uh, action's fun. And I'm like, hmm, okay. So you didn't have like a character reason or like a passion <laughs> for writing this? So not to just keep talking about this, but to speak on that point, I think a lot of writers just want to sound very casual as though they are just much smarter than they appear to be that sounded Mm. like a like a knock but I actually used to kind of answer questions like that where I'd be like I don't know like I knew the exact answer I know why I wrote father daughter day I know why I wrote this other action comedy it was dealing with interesting divorce or this or that but it was it, it was it was to it was to be like oh you know yeah like I wanted to sound like I didn't put you know, a year of effort of thinking in oh, the idea. Like I it see. just came up. It, it was like an effortless type thing. Like, yeah, I just write. Just spit like it out. Yeah, I can't get do this like, all day. Do you want another one? Here's another one. Easy. Oh, and I think that's that's not the right way to go about it. But I get that. Hmm. I'm not like that now. now no, I'm very specific. I can't imagine that. Yeah. No. Okay, I have a this week in writing. Go. Um, we got a listener question about, you know, thank you for talking about how long it takes to write a feature-length screenplay. We did that in another episode where typically you will get just contractually 12 weeks to finish a first draft of a screenplay. But how long does it take to write TV? And I think there's no one answer to this question because uh, schedules can be very different depending on whatever show that you're on. So I can speak to my experiences of the shows that I have been on and how long it seems to take my writers to finish a TV episode. Mm-hmm. 
And the answer is we break an episode for about two weeks, maybe one and a half to two weeks. So it's just all of the writers in the writer's room saying, hey, what could this idea be? What could this episode be about? What are the arcs of this episode? What are the sort of plot pillars? What are the character pillars? And we literally break every single scene um, from beginning to end. And the writer who's up there at the board, because it's their episode, they will pitch it almost every day. And then, oh, I can feel a hole in this because I, when I'm pitching it, I don't know what the answer is here. We're going to talk about that. So we do all of that. We break it for two weeks. And then the writer takes about one week to write the outline, which is in a final draft. It is a scene-by-scene outline of exactly what the episode will be. There will not be dialogue in the outline. If there is, it's italicized as like a suggestion of what the dialogue should be in this situation, but is usually just kind of pointing to what it will be. And then once that gets approved, the writer then takes about two weeks to write their, and this would be for an hour long, um, like for Blood Origin, this is what that was like, an hour, uh, sorry, two weeks to do an hour long episode. For Tomb Raider which was 22 minutes, it was shorter. I think we had half a week <laughs> to, bre- <laughs> to break an episode and then a week to write the episode. So uh, a week to write the outline, a week to write the episode. Okay. And then when you're saying that the writer is writing, they have a week to write the episode, they're still in the writer's room pitching on the next. Great point. Yes. Though, if that writer is like, hey, Tasha, can I take the day off today? because I really need to write and you really need to get through this. It behooves me to say yes so that they can get their stuff done or say, Hey, can you come for the first half? And when we meet for lunch, then you can take off and go write your script. Yeah. So yeah, oftentimes you'll, uh, you hear a lot like the writers on draft. So they're not in the writer's room. Have you been in a room or in a position where the story is just not getting there and you're not breaking the episode and you just have to be like, we need to hunker the fuck down and figure out what this is because we need to know by tomorrow at 9 a.m. Oh my God. It's so terrifying. I have, ugh. It's such a roller coaster of emotions like the week you're breaking your episode, the episode, an episode, because <sighs> recently, for example, there was a case where We had the episode pretty much up there. Like we got the general character stuff, the general beats of the action story. And then someone came in and was like, actually, none of that works. And (laughs) this was like day three. And suddenly we had to take all the cards off the board. And it was a blank whiteboard. And I was like, holy shit, just yesterday or just this morning even, this entire board was full of a story and now there's nothing. And I thought I was going to puke because you don't, you have no idea if you're going to get there in time. Luckily, I've never had the case where it's 9 a.m. tomorrow and we haven't figured it out. We've always figured it out so far, but that haunts me. Yeah. But by the way, this is why a lot of writer's rooms like go until forever. Like a lot of people talk about writer's rooms yeah. that are like 12 hour days because they can't figure it out. I can't imagine working for 12 hours like that in a writer's room your brain dies there's no way those ideas are good but right it happens that that is i can imagine that being really scary it's horrifying but i think 
part of part of what helps, I mean, a big part of what helps is on my end, coming in as prepared as I can be as a showrunner and saying, here is an outline of what the season should be so that we at least have some understanding of what each episode needs to accomplish. So that at least gives us some direction, right? And right. then if we do find ourselves in holes, I then have to dig in and do a lot more work at night after we wrap to figure out what the fuck we're going to do tomorrow <laughs> so that we can be super directed and really figure this out. It's a lot of work. Well, yeah, that's that sounds like what makes the one of the things that separates showrunners is the ability to know exactly where you need to go and yeah. then steer the ship in that direction so everyone's kind of targeted along the same path. Yeah. And that, that workload is significantly different, right? So the writers get to go home and not really think about it. <laughs> they get to go home right. with their families or work on another project that they have that's not this thing. Whatever they do in their spare time, they get to go do that. Showrunner has to go home and just think about this, especially if there's a problem. It's really amazing to have writers who are awesome, who when you go home, you're not having to just think about that project because, you know, they'll, they'll, they got it handled. Which yeah, is the yeah, case yeah. with Mighty Nine right now. Everyone's awesome. That's my This Week in Writing. I hope that answers everyone's question. That's great. That was great. <laughs> Do you have another <laughs> one? Is. Nah, let's just go into the topic. Okay. Topic today is pacing in an action sequence, which comes up a lot in the writing Josh and I do. We write a lot of action. Um, so we're going to break down or do a checklist of what to look for in your action sequence to make sure the pacing is right. And I will say, mm -hmm. neither of us are teachers. We thought a lot about this of just, because a lot of pacing becomes intuitive the more you write. So that's not helpful to anyone. So how do we break apart what we do um, and actually find articulate ways of, 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 act, of making that actionable, right? So I thought we'd first start off by like, just what do we mean by pacing? Uh, and I would say when you watch or you read an action sequence, you can feel whether you're writer or not, you can just feel if the sequence is going on too long. Regardless of, again, if you have any writing skills, you just have an instinct. And uh, a writer recently called it action fatigue. And you may love action, but an action scene just that just keeps carrying on and on makes you start wondering, mm -hmm. when are they going to move on to the next part of the story already? Or even the next part of the action sequence. And that's when the action starts to feel generic. Even if it's not. Like, even if it's not an ideas issue. It's not that the writer is stupid or they're unoriginal. It's just that they have a pacing issue that can make it feel generic. So I guess I wanted to start with the most obvious way to gauge your pacing, which is page count. Mm. Your action sequence should probably not even be a page long, I would say, in the script. Oh, God. Even you saying that gives me anxiety. A page of action? Right? Yeah, it's, I, I it's don't a think lot. so. That would that would that would require I mean, that's like some fast and furious level action. That's like a lot of moving parts, Dom Toretto's jumping off of something, another car's whipping over the freeway. Even that, I mean that that yeah. I just read Mission Impossible Three and there's not even a page of action description in that. 
That is a huge point because that movie is all action. And yet, yeah, I agree. So no, I don't think it should. I mean, listen, again, just to reiterate what Tasha just said, we are not teachers and there are fucking movies with action descriptions that are a full page. I'm just saying, I'm just speaking personally yeah. here. Because part of part of the deal is, and I'm sure that there, you know, we always talk about that every page is, reads about a minute of screen time, right? So I'm sure that there are action sequences in Mission Impossible that are well over a minute. There have to be. There always is. Mm-hmm. But there's not a over a page of action description because they they cut it down. They get to the point quickly in the mm-hmm. read, and then the choreographers, the the action choreographers, the stunt people, the director, they all come together. And they decide how to translate that, where to extend it. And they they pace it out once they get into, like, it's a whole different pacing once you get into production, right? But on the page, if your action goes longer than a page, then you probably have too much action. And that means that even when they get into the production phase, they're going to have to cut the shit out of it just to create that three-minute action sequence, if that makes any sense. It does to me. Okay. Um, I would suggest if that is confusing, check out a script from an action movie that you love. Check out this Mission Impossible script. Check out Nobody is a great example we always bring up. And if you've watched the movie already, go back to the script in that particular action sequence and see how long it is and see Mm -hmm. how different it is in the viewing experience to the page read. And you'll see that pacing page count we're talking about. And I mean, just to counter ourselves, I yeah. read True Lies, and True Lies, although it was written by James Cameron, directed by James Cameron, has some very, very, very lengthy action descriptions. However, he can do that because it is his film, and he is James Cameron, and he can just be like, yo, I'm going to write 20 straight pages of action. What are you going to do about it? How many pages do you think his action sequences were in that script? Well... I could tell you right now if you want. I would love that. Just looking at his script right now, his descriptions are big, big chunks, like half pages of description. Still not even a full page, but like uh, three quarters of a page of just action description. Okay. I so, buy that. Yeah. He doesn't even do a page then. No. Um, and I think what a lot of times happens is we tend to get very specific in action description because it just is so cool and you're like so cool tasha's running down the street she hops over the curb she climbs up a bridge which she somersaults off of into the lake it finds a boat swims the boat speeds to life like these little yeah things that are really cool when you're like thinking of it like oh wow but there's always ways to condense your descriptions yeah like even in that i would be like tasha parkours up the bridge leaps into the water Done. Done. She leaps into the water. And it's tough because you want to show how cool it is. Yeah. But the reality is, is like, you don't need to do that. You can make it feel cool in other ways. Like, yeah. How you describe it. Like, be succinct about it, but be cool about it. Just be cool, man. All right. repetition is i would say the second 
pacing issue to pay attention to. And this, you can do this once you've, you can do all of this once you've written your action sequence, then go back and start tearing it apart like a puzzle. So repetition, if you find that Tasha jumped off a bridge into the water and stole a boat, then later she gets knocked off the boat, runs back onto the street, jumps in, off a bridge again into the water and, and grabs a kayak now, like that feels repetitive. Tasha's jumped off two bridges and is now has two water vehicles in the action sequence. That's going to read as boring or unoriginal or generic. So don't yeah. do it. I, if you find yourself repeating things, take out the second beat. That's a great, great note. I had recently, this producer I've been working with on Father Daughter Day, he made a comment to me about writing a memorable action scene. And he was like, we need to figure out how, like, what is the memorable action moment from here? And like, it was just, I was like, yeah, hey man, I know I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to write a memorable action moment. And he, he basically was like, it has to be iconic and we have to figure that out. Go for it. And I was like, okay. No pressure. And it was no pressure. I still didn't end up doing it. However, the reason I bring that up is because I had some repetition in that scene and I pulled mm. back. I know those don't tie together completely, but I just wanted to bring that up to uh, have a therapy session. I think that's actually a really good point, And we can talk about that for a second. I, by the way, I do all of these things as a problem. I have to go back and edit myself. Other people have to catch me that I'm doing it. This is all not like we know everything and we do it all no, the time. I still, this is no, just I do it all the time. Again, this is after we've written, we go back and we go through and say, okay, how, how can we better our pacing? But that's a really good point is the iconic thing. Like in Nobody, I feel like the bus sequence is iconic, not only because the character is does something really unexpected. And you're like, holy shit, that's mm -hmm. unexpected. He's just a normal dude. And suddenly he's killing these young guys on a bus and he's super badass about it. That's a surprise. But the really, I think, iconic part of that bus sequence is, what do you think? Is it the end? Yeah. When he saves that guy's life by giving him a, what is that called? Trachey Tracheotomy? Yeah. He fucking collapses yeah. the dude's windpipe and then uses a pen, I think like a big pen and, or a straw or something mm -hmm. and like gives him a trachea. Like that's, holy shit, that's iconic. I'm going to remember that. That's gruesome. It's specific. It's unique to the moment because he's trying yeah. to kill these guys, but then he tries to save this other guy. That's really interesting. I would say John Wick and the pencil ends up being interesting because they build it up so much. I once saw John Wick kill some guy, yeah. like 10 guys with a pencil, and then you're like waiting for it. And when you finally see it, that's, that feels iconic. In Saving Private Ryan, there's that sniper who I think he like prays or something every time he goes to like narrow in on someone. And mm -hmm. that's interesting. It like adds something interesting to a guy who otherwise would just be sniping and not have any screen time and just be sniper number two, right? In, yeah. in the actual script. So it's like finding little tiny things that make the audience go, huh, that's unexpected in that moment. You know, yeah, this is, it. I'm, I'm going to speak from if you're writing a spec, if you're, you're coming in, you're writing something original, you're writing an action film, or really anything, but you do have to figure out what that memorable moment is. So if someone is reading it for the first time, that's what they take away from it. They're like, oh shit, I haven't really seen that before. Or that was just really cool. Just those are the kind of things I think kind of really stick out with people 
and those moments that you can, you know, when you write a moment that you're like, oh, this is going to stay in here. Like, yeah. This is just different. Yeah. And stuff like that. It's tough. And it's tough to do like what the producer is saying, where you sort of retrofit it and just like specifically look for an iconic moment. Like I feel like the tracheotomy moment came as a result of a character thing that Derek Colstead wanted to do in that moment. It didn't, mm. he didn't write it. And I don't know, we will have to get him on the podcast to ask him specifically about the scene that we love so much, Josh. Um, but yeah. I don't think he wrote it and was like, I need an iconic moment. Let me add a tracheotomy here. And I say that only because it's so organic to what the character is doing. So when we think of, and by the way, I do not typically have iconic moments in my action from the get-go. If I do, it's like, it's a strike of inspiration that just really is completely beyond my control. So it is going, if you don't have it, go back through your pages and be like, is there an inter more interesting way for my character to jump from this building to this building? Like I think of Jason Bourne, right? He jumps from a building into a window, one floor down, right? Like that's on a patio. And then he takes a book and kills a guy with it. That's iconic. That's interesting. That's unexpected. I had never seen that before. So yeah. yeah. But in the first draft, maybe he just jumped from the building to the other building. Totally. You always have to amp it up. Always. Which brings me to my next one, which is escalation. And oh, go back through segment. your action sequence and make sure that it is ramping up as Josh says. Josh says. Ooh, that one's a hard one. Josh says. Um, <laughs> it is continually getting bigger and bigger. So you don't open with massive explosion and a building collapsing. You build to that because naturally the audience gets pulled into a story the more you sort of pull them along and then give them the holy shit moment at the end of like oh my god like can this get any crazier but yeah you, to do that you have to build which is related to the next bit so i'm just going to move right into it which is three-act structure yeah. i think josh and i talk a lot about finding your three-act structure and your action sequences. And this will help you naturally escalate your action sequence. So meaning, I guess we'll do the bridge and boat example. Yeah. The bridge feels like the midpoint in this action sequence. Like something was happening before the bridge. Tasha's being chased by someone. Maybe there was some parkouring. Maybe there was a, a contained fight scene in a, in a stairwell or something. She gets free and now she's running full Tom Cruise run down the, mm -hmm. down the bridge. And then, and then she starts parkouring up the bridge. So not only have we seen she, she can do like close combat fighting, that's really cool, but now she can parkour. Like that's a new skill. That's a new section of the action set piece. And we think maybe she's about to get free because she's running on this bridge, but no, some new complication happens. Like the bad guy blows up the bridge and now yeah. Tasha has to parkour off the debris Mm, midair <laughs> midair <laughs> holy wow. shit how is she gonna get out of this she turns it into a swan dive into the into the water and now we're in our third act we're in our third act where tasha's gonna steal a boat and becomes a boat chase but the boat chase doesn't happen in act one because we have to build to this insane boat chase as bridges are being exploded wow so if you think of your action sequence as a mini movie that might help you with escalation yeah, it's almost like a horror film, like whenever there's a, a jump scare, you know, you're just kind of building to it, building to it, and then boom, you know it's coming, yeah. but 
the creepy tension builds and builds and builds and then you jump scare. And yeah. like I, I look at action sequences kind of in the same way because you know your hero needs to get out of the scenario. But how are they going to do it and what happens in the action sec- uh, sequence to to get them to that point? Yeah. That's all. And I yeah, like that I, you just said, by the way. Oh, go ahead. No, you go. I was going to say about the uh, uh, like set of skills that you learn about Tasha as she's parkouring over the mm-hmm. bridge because that is also, I, you know, I don't know if this is part of the list here, but like so character-based to in your action scenes, you kind of get a sense of what your character is capable of doing and it teaches you something new about your character. Yeah, I think that's Kind great. of getting a little off course of the pacing, but just to throw that in. No, that's actually the last thing, but I'm not going to move on to it quite yet because nice. it, I started thinking about the Mission Impossible where Rebecca Ferguson's in it and it's four. the- Four. And it's the motorcycle sequence that you sent me recently where just just watch that one because Mm -hmm. it starts with she she drives off with the MacGuffin. Tom Cruise starts chasing her in a car with Benji. And so the first act is a car sequence and through the streets that escalates, I guess it's kind of a two-act structure in this case that escalates and she he's able to no i would say it's a two three-act structure sorry he's chasing her through the streets it's a cool car chase she's on a motorcycle he's in a beamer and then it escalates when these bad guys start trying to kill rebecca ferguson and tom cruise is like no you can't kill this woman that i may or may not love but still need to go after so he starts taking out these bad guys kind of for her and then he crashes his car as a result of trying to stop these bad guys and then he steals a motorcycle and goes after her and then it becomes a motorcycle to motorcycle chase uh, high-speed chase so it's a definitely a three-act structure and i would 100 percent look to that as an example of of what we're talking about and specifically the fact that it escalates because something i've noticed in a lot of action sequences that don't escalate properly and therefore the pacing is really off is that the really cool shit happens early like the holy shit stuff happens early and i think you really i know it's so cool and you just want to put it in there and be like well if the holy shit stuff is in act one i could just make bigger holy shit stuff as we go and i think yes that's true but if you blow your wad, as it were, so early, oh. <laughs> inappropriate, Tasha, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Then the audience has nowhere to go. Like you've, you've yeah. given them the holy shit moment and they've sort of desens- they've become desensitized to it. And yeah. I know you think you can, you can, and maybe you can, maybe big, go bigger and bigger, try it. But um, in my experience, the, the kind of almost like slower build is what pays off the most for the audience. You're absolutely right. Mission Impossible, by the way, I feel like has mastered this. Yes. Even, uh, first of all, that scene you were just talking about, right before the car, the the motorcycle chase and the car chase, uh, Ethan Hunt held his breath for nine minutes and died. And then he had to get resuscitated by Benji. So it just keeps building, building, building. And I was thinking about the airplane sequence in one of the Mission Impossibles where he's hanging on the side of the airplane. Yeah. Like that alone, you're like, holy shit, this is a crazy stunt. But then you've got Benji who can't open the door and um, Jeremy Renner's like, open the door, Benji. And he's opening wrong doors on the airplane. Yeah. Finally, (laughs) finally, uh, Tom Cruise gets sucked back inside. But it escalates little by little by little. And then until finally 
uh, you just can't take it anymore. It's perfect. Yeah, that's cool. And the last thing is what you were talking about, which is emotionality. And mm. it's maybe weird that this is on a list of with pacing, but I have also found when I stop caring about the action is when I have lost track of the characters feeling like they're in danger or feeling like they are outnumbered. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's no low point in the action sequence, I stop caring. And this is all emotionality. So yes, it's it's part of what Josh is saying where you're showing off your character's abilities. Like, are they getting tired in this moment? Is this action thing that they're doing really hard for them? Are their muscles straining? Did they get shot? And so now they're limping and that's a new complication. Like what about my character in this action sequence is causing the action sequence to take particular turns? Yeah. Because if it's just plot, then it feels like it feels repetitive, even if it's not. Yeah, I think that's what's that's what's difficult. It always has to kind of change your character. Yeah, every action sequence, something new has to happen. A new complication has to come from the end or during the action sequence. Yeah, if you can. By the way, again, I don't do this. Like, I need people to tell me that I didn't do it. Yeah. in order to know that I didn't do it. Um, it's so true. It's so hard. It's so hard to do, but it's if you're reading back in your script, it's it's a good reminder. That's all I got. That's great. That was awesome. I'm inspired to go write action now. I am too, actually. I have to go trim through, uh, go look through a script, and I feel like I can trim some things and amp certain things up. I feel like I've failed all my action sequences now, and I just need to go through all of them and fix them. <laughs> yeah, me too. 100% have. But we solved it. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> <laughs> of all the answers <laughs> easy now <laughs> uh so that's it we did it pacing action stuff it's awesome quote of the day quote of the freaking day i'm always aware of writing around things i can't do and i've come to think that that's actually what style is an avoidance of your deficiencies George Saunders. Oh, I'll stop eventually. Please no. remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. And as always, the Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs>